Welcome to the Good Dog Pod. Every Wednesday, we discuss all things dogs, from health and veterinary care to training and behavior science. Follow us and join Good Dog's mission to build a better world for our dogs and the people who love them. Hi, everybody. You are tuned in to the Good Dog Pod. This week, we're going to talk dog agility. We're here with Megan Foster. She is the owner of Synergy Dog Sports, where she teaches agility full-time, both in person and through online classes. She has been doing agility for over 20 years and has competed with several dogs and dog breeds, including an American Eskimo, West Highland White Terrier. She's worked with Shelties, Border Collies, and Parson Russell Terriers. Megan's accomplishments include many titles through AKC and the United States Dog Agility Association. She's done and earned regional and national championships. She has represented the U.S. at the European Open in 2015. And she was also a United States Dog Agility Association judge for over 10 years. So you can imagine why. I'm so excited to talk to Megan about agility. She is an agility whiz. You can learn more about Megan's training program and seminars at her website, which is SynergyDogSports.com. So everyone, please join me in welcoming Megan Foster to the Good Dog Pod today. Hi, Megan. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I always like to start by learning a little bit about our speaker and their personal journey. So would you mind telling us a little bit about how you got started in agility and kind of how you knew, like, this is what I want to do? Sure. So our family dog was in obedience. So I was four or five years old when this was happening. And so (laughs) it was just starting to become a thing here in the States. And my parents were taking dogs through obedience training, and they were getting a little bit serious, maybe thinking about competitive obedience. And then the obedience club said, well, we really are kind of interested in this agility thing. What does everyone think? And so we all started making our own equipment and finding places to practice and train. And I was pretty well hooked and I was working with other people's dogs because I was told I wasn't old enough to get a dog of my own. (laughs) So Actually, the American Eskimo and the Westie were not my own dogs. They were dogs that were like given to me so I could participate. That's so cool. Exactly. So (laughs) I was hooked from a very early age that this was definitely something that I wanted to do, that I wanted to work with dogs. I wanted to run around an obstacle course. I don't know what it was <laughs> from day one. And seriously, I never look back. So it sounds like your parents also really encouraged this. I mean, it was kind of like a family affair that turned yeah. into your kind of specialty, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a family thing. I will say that I got hooked the most, that I was the one that was the most competitive and wanted to do it all of the time and was always choosing practicing with the dogs and going to dog seminars rather than hanging out with peers of my own (laughs) or sports or anything like that. So yeah, it was just immediate passion. That's so cool. That's so cool. So on the weekends, your parents were like driving you to the dog competitions, not to the mall or to soccer games. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Well, let's talk about what agility is and is not. I happened to watch a little bit of the Crufts agility this weekend. There's a lot of fun stuff going on. And 
I guess in my mind, you know, it's basically an obstacle course for dogs, but obviously it's also a competitive sport. And I also assume that there are aspects of it that I'm not even thinking about that grow or change to keep the experienced agility person interested, right? There has to be something that keeps you going for 20 plus years. So how would you describe agility to someone who's kind of new to it? So you're on the right track. It is an obstacle course. And I think what gets kind of understated is the teamwork in here, that the language that develops between the person and the dog and how you spend, you know, a couple of years working with an animal. And it's almost like you're reading each other's minds out there at some point. So that's kind of what gets you hooked, I think. But also agility has this very wide spectrum of something that can be done just as A hobby that you never have to compete, that's just good for relationship building and good training, good enrichment, good exercise. And then it goes all the way to what you were watching on Crufts, very competitive, very high speeds, totally different game, and everything in between. There is a flavor of agility for everyone out there. Nice. It looks very physical on the human's end as well. It can be. Yeah. So there's also a really wide spectrum of handling styles that one can adopt because dogs are amazing and they can learn anything. And so handlers that like to run and want to be a little bit more close to the dog and running around as fast as they can, they have that ability. There's an outlet for that. And there's also an outlet of agility for less mobile handlers or handlers that just don't enjoy running because people exist as well. (laughs) That's good to know. It can accommodate those that don't or can't, you know, do that much physical activity. A very friendly sport. (laughs) That's great. So if someone is like, Ooh, this sounds cool. How do they get started? What equipment do they need? Does their dog need to have certain training skills before they get started? Like, where would you recommend they start? It is a great and also an overwhelming time to get started in this sport because we have the internet. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, when I first started agility, there was one magazine and that's where we got our information and we just went with it. But now you can probably find a fantastic agility instructor in your area, or you can find a fantastic agility instructor online. And there's a lot that can be done when it comes to agility in small spaces with very little equipment. You know, in my living room, I practice with just like a traffic cone and a couple of platforms. And there's a ton of skills that I teach my young dogs and my experienced dogs without having to drive up the hill and go to the actual practice course. But eventually, once you get hooked and once you're really thinking about starting to piece things together and compete, you do have to have access somewhere to the full equipment and things like that. And most of my students don't have everything at home. It usually starts with like one little item and then they'll pick another one up. And eventually over a couple of years, their homes get flooded with the real stuff, but it's usually pretty easy to find places with the equipment as well. Okay. And can you kind of throw together a little like couch cushion and a hula hoop and get started there? Essentially, yeah. I have done so many things like that, mostly because I don't like leaving the house unnecessarily. (laughs) You can get very creative and teach the dog the skills and then transfer those skills to the actual equipment later on. Cool. Very cool. 
do you observe breed differences in dogs you've worked with? You know, we work with breeders at Good Dog. And so some of them, I'm assuming, are breeding dogs that are well suited for agility. But can any dog pick this up? And, you know, what makes a dog well suited for agility? Is it their age? Is it their breed? Is it their personality? It's everything. That wide spectrum of agility that does exist does allow for a wider variety of breeds to be able to participate safely, but it's still in a very athletic endeavor, right? They're jumping, sometimes they're climbing things, they're going back and forth. There's a lot of repetitive actions in agility. There's some impact in agility. So just by all of that, we want to make sure that we're looking for sound dogs, Mm -hmm. structurally sound dogs, and fit dogs. Not all pets are going to be immediately functional in that way. They might need some conditioning to be able to excel at and really enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. So if your dog needs to lose some weight, they're not going to be running this course immediately. Exactly. And there's a little bit, depending on kind of how you jump into it, some people think that agility is good exercise. And it is, but it needs to be reframed differently. Like agility when the dog is fit is not the same as agility when the dog is getting fit sort of thing. Just like any exercise that we would do. We wouldn't jump into the highest caliber of rock climbing when we're not fit for rock climbing yet. We would start (laughs) at a lower level. We would start with the skills and work up our strength for that. Okay, that's great. Now, when you're training dogs, so, okay, the obstacle course, maybe we can talk a little bit about some of the components, like there's like a seesaw and like the A-frame climbing ramps and hoops and hurdles. Do you have a favorite obstacle that you like to train on? Is it like once a dog gets that, you're like, yes. Oh, for sure. The seesaw is hands down my favorite to teach just because so many dogs can have some different feelings about something that moves and makes Hmm. And so kind of watching them develop this understanding of, oh, I make it move. I make (laughs) it noise. I did that. I have that power is so overwhelmingly. It's such a good feeling, right? It's so powerful. And so it's my favorite to teach. It's the contact obstacle that I start with. So I start with as soon as my puppy's brain can handle that sort of thing, I'm introducing elements of the seesaw, you know, playing games with metal utensils and baking dishes so that they understand, oh, I make things move and I can make things make noise. Okay. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of instability involved with the seesaw too, which I'm sure. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that we can introduce more and more of these layers to them before they ever even see a real seesaw. So that when we do, they're like, oh, I know this game. Boom. And they smash it into the ground and they're like, oh, yeah, I did that. (laughs) And they're so happy and they're so proud of themselves. So yeah, that is 100% my favorite thing to teach. Okay, that's really cool. So for those that are experienced in agility, and you've been doing this a long time, how do you keep things fresh and exciting? Like I can imagine like one is you're training new dogs. Two is does the course change? And like when you're competing, do you know what the course is going to be? Like is the dog trained on a specific course? Or is it really about like you just have to know how to do all the pieces. And once you get there, we'll tell you what order they're in. Yeah. The second thing. Okay. All of the obstacles stay the same throughout all of agility. And there have not been very many modifications to the obstacles since I started over 20 years ago. Things have been made safer, but the general idea of all the obstacles have stayed the same. 
but how the courses are put together from one obstacle to the next and crossing patterns and distances between the obstacles that changes every single time you step into the ring. Okay. So when you sign up, you might sign up for four or five different runs that have a general theme to them. Like we have some courses that are just jumps and tunnels, some that are all of the equipment, some where you have to follow the numbers and there's some strategy games where you have to make up your own course to earn points. So there's a wide variety of things. So you can expect certain things based on the rules, but you don't know what it's going to be. Okay. You show up and you've got typically like an eight to 10 minute walkthrough where you can familiarize yourself with the obstacles and kind of plan your strategy and kind of rehearse how it's going to go. And then you're up, you're in there, it's ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) And is that the adrenaline rush that keeps you going? Or is it really about like other parts of it that really have kept you invested for so long? It's both. It's a puzzle because planning your agility run is really about how well can you predict your dog and their behavior? Mm. How are they going to respond to this today? Where are they going to take off? Where are they going to land? Where do I need to be to make sure that they know where they need to be? So planning that puzzle and seeing how many of those pieces did I get in the right place? That's what keeps me going. (laughs) Cool, cool. All right, everyone, you are listening to The Good Dog Pod. We're here with Megan Foster and we'll be right back. Your Litter A to Z is the leading science-based course for dog breeders. It includes expertly designed 18 modules, checklists, and reports that cover before breeding, getting your bitch pregnant, whelping your litter, and raising your pups. This course usually costs $479, but you can access it for free when you join Good Dog. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, we are talking agility with Megan Foster today here on the Good Dog Pod. I want to shift things to maybe a little more about the human dog relationship part of agility, because I recognize that's probably a huge component of this, just from what you described, the communication between the person and the dog. So what are the biggest challenges for the humans and dogs who are doing agility? It's kind of tricky, but I actually think it is more mindset skills that become the biggest challenge, because when we're talking about like other sports or maybe more individual There's not the same relationship with a tennis racket or a baseball bat that there is with the animal that we spend our entire lives with. And agility is such a small part of that. And the rest of it is our emotional selves wrapped up in our favorite little creature. And so it can be hard to put yourself out there in a competitive sense and have all those emotions tied into it and not take it personally when it doesn't go quite right or not be incredibly disappointed. But then we're not just, oh, that was a disappointing match and put the tennis racket away and move on. It's that was a disappointing trial day. And now I'm going to go hang out with my my (laughs) partner for the rest (laughs) of the day. So I think separating or just kind of accepting that we can be both competitive and compassionate Mm -hmm. is a big part of it. Because the dog doesn't know they lost. They have no idea. (laughs) I mean, they might pick up that you're upset about something, right? But Exactly, um, exactly. And unfortunately, dogs are a little bit narcissists. So they sometimes do think that, oh, you're upset. Are you upset with me? So it's important to be able to just put that away at the end of the day and go, okay, this is something that we do together. This is not who we are. This is not who I am. 
in even with it being such a big, huge part of my life, I compete and I also make this my profession. It's separate. It's yeah. yeah, I went to a competition today. It doesn't like whatever. It's fine. It went great or it went poorly. Now back to work. (laughs) Right, right. And speaking of your work, so you do classes for people and you're helping people who are getting into agility. Can you tell me a little bit about how that works? Is it really just classes or do you do like private one-on-one training? And is it really about training the person or are you working directly with the dog? Like where do your services come in for someone who's getting into agility? So I teach primarily online. So typically if people were new, they would come into my handling series where I actually start with just a six week course on just handler only skills Mm -hmm. so that the handler has some fluency in their body movements and how they can be directing the dog more clearly on course so that when we do add the dog in, they already have a sense of what's going on. Yes. Training two brand new learners at the same time is messy at best. (laughs) Yes. So is it about like how training works or is it like, don't be making lots of extraneous body movements when you're trying to communicate something clearly or it's both. Right. So it's dogs have a very specific order of how they naturally respond to our bodies. So like they respond to movement first and foremost, if you're running really fast, they're running really fast. If you slow down, they slow down. And then there's all these other intricacies about where you're looking and where your chest is facing and what are your feet doing. And yeah, we tend to be handsy humans that talk with our hands and that's mostly distracting to the dogs. And they learn that our hands are important because we feed them. Sure. So yeah, we have to kind of rein all that in and then add the dog in. Do you ever have clients where you're like, yeah, you and your dog are not going to compete? Or is it sometimes like just encouraging people to do this for fun? Or are there some people that are like, you know, really like hardcore, serious, competitive? Most of my clients know that they want to compete. Okay. And I don't know. I find that it's actually very few that just stay for fun. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. They get into it. They enjoy it. Their dogs are enjoying it and they really want to dip their toes into competing. And for a lot of people, competition becomes such a huge part of their social lives. Mm, That makes sense. It's what they're doing. Instead of going to brunch on the weekend or the golf course on the weekend, they're going to a dog show on the weekend. And right. we, We make friends with all of these people that we stand around with all day while we wait for our 30 seconds of adrenaline. (laughs) Yeah. And the course, it is that short, right? Yeah. A minute or usually less than a minute. And so for non-doggy people, we look insane. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And it's time and like completing the course correctly, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that it's just, you're in there and you're out. Yeah, exactly. You wake up way earlier than you would like to. You spend all day in an event in the weather, usually, (laughs) whatever the weather, because you're either outside or in a horse arena, typically. And then you run a couple, three times, maybe. And then you go home and you wake up and you do it again the next day. Insane. It's dedication. (laughs) Yes. What's most rewarding to you about your work, especially training others to do agility? Oh, back to those puzzles. I love solving puzzles. Every single one of my dogs has been a puzzle. I find that most of my clients find me because they have a puzzle that they need to solve. 
And when I'm helping someone else solve a puzzle and I can kind of light their passion for dog training and problem solving. And when they send me back a video and they solved it and they made this huge breakthrough, like that is, that's my jam. People need to be as nerdy about it as I am. (laughs) (laughs) So what about your own dogs? Are they all competing or do you have some dogs that, you know, get to just lounge on the couch all day? They all do agility and they also all lounge on the couch all day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So all of your dogs do agility. That's impressive. That's right. Well, how many dogs do you have? So between my partner and I, we have five and he also competes in agility. So when we get a new dog, the intent is always, well, I like doing agility. I'm going to talk with breeders, find a dog that's a good fit for an agility lifestyle, hiking in the woods, traveling, things like that. So thinking about that sort of temperament and that sound structure, and then we bring them home and we start training and If at any point in the time they are not showing that this is their jam, this is not what they want to do with their career, then that's okay. Yeah. My Parson Russell Terrier, for instance, is six and a half, and he's just now starting to kind of like turn on to the career possibilities. And that's okay. All of my dogs get the same training as if they were going to enter the competition ring, even if they never do. Yeah. Competing is still even though it's such a big part of my life, it's such a small part in the whole scheme of things. Right, right. Agility is obviously more than just a weekend activity. You're, <laughs> sounds like you're yeah. living and breathing it. Always. Always. <laughs> okay, well, we like to end with a fun question about dogs. So what's the one thing you would like to know about dogs, like an unanswered question that you wish we knew the answer to? I am so fascinated by their noses. <laughs> Yes. And I want to know more about their noses. And this is so strange, but it's so recent. But my laundry got washed with a different detergent and it <laughs> came out and I was like, oh no, this is not acceptable. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, okay, if I feel that way, do they feel that way? Yeah. They have way more powerful noses. Do they have a headache from this new overwhelming scent. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, they're so sensitive, but you'd also have to think that they're more tolerant at the same time because otherwise wouldn't just be sensory overload. Their heads would explode because I see it when I'm working them, their noses like turn off, right? Like when my dogs are working, they can ignore meatballs on the ground (laughs) because the work is so powerful. But then as soon as Okay, works over. They're like meatballs. Meatball. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. We're going to have a series on detection dogs and nose work coming up on the Good Dog Pod. So oh, um, maybe we can get some of those questions answered. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here. It's been really fun chatting with you. And before we wrap up, where can people find you online or elsewhere? So I am all over social media. You mentioned my website in the beginning of the podcast, and I have a mailing list there. Okay. So let's mention that URL one more time. SynergyDogSports.com. Thank you. And if you join my mailing list, when I email you, it will be packed with training tips, not just sales pitches, I promise. But I'm also on Facebook, Instagram as Synergy Dogs, and I'm also on TikTok. Oh, great. So I'm all over. Perfect. I love the name of your business really reflects, I think, your attitude about the human dog relationship in agility. Yeah, that was very important to me that both ends of the leash are always considered. And 
every team I work with is unique. It's a very unique trifecta of the human, the dog, and the partnership that they create. Well, thank you so much. It's been great having you here. You are tuned into the Good Dog Pod. I'm Dr. Michael Delgado. And continuing on the agility thread, we thought it'd be really fun to have two members of Good Dog's team talk to us about their personal experiences with agility. And so today I've got Reagan Abramitis and Rachel Jeffords here with me. Just tell you a little bit about them. Reagan works with established breeders on the Good Dog platform. Prior to joining us here at Good Dog, she got her bachelor's degree in animal sciences from North Carolina State. And she worked in a veterinary clinic in North Carolina as a rehab assistant. Rachel Jeffords works with new breeders who are in the process of joining Good Dog. She also worked in a veterinary clinic before joining us, and she earned a bachelor's degree in anthrozoology, which is the study of human-animal interactions, from Carroll College. Now, at some point, both Reagan and Rachel moved to Salt Lake City, became friends, and started working at Good Dog, and the rest is history. Apparently, they're also neighbors, I just found out. Um, but the reason we're here today is that you are both active in agility with your dogs. So I thought it'd be super fun for our community to get to know some of us who work here at Good Dog, hear about your personal experiences with agility. So thank you both for taking the time to chat with me today. All right. So first, I'd love to hear about your dogs. So do you have more than one dog each and do they all do agility? So we'll start with Rachel. Yeah. So I have three dogs. They're all Australian Shepherds. I have a nine and a half year old named Josie, an almost two year old named Sage and a one year old named Ochre. Josie's retired from everything. She's kind of my old lady and my hiking companion, but the younger two are just getting started in their agility careers. Nice. Okay. And Reagan, what about your dogs? Yeah, I have two dogs, also both Australian Shepherds. I have Psych. He's almost five years old. I got him when he was three years old from like a rehome situation. And he is just started trialing this past year. And then I have my puppy, Valley, who is about a year old. And we've been doing foundation training basically since she's come home. Nice. So how did you both get started in agility? Was this something you knew you wanted to do when you got your dogs? Or did you discover it after you'd gotten your dogs? What attracted you to agility? So I saw it on TV as a kid. And I thought it looked like so much fun. I was like, I got to do this. I really want to get into agility. And so actually my dad helped me build some basic uh, equipment out of PVC pipes, like some jumps, some weaves, and even like a small teeter-totter. And I just practiced in the backyard with our whippets. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was just having a good time. I was like 11. And I started to get into it a little bit more seriously when Josie, my older dog, was a puppy. But then due to college and her going partially blind at the age of four, unfortunately, her agility career was ended pretty early. But Sage is the first dog that I'm really starting to compete and get serious with, along with Ochre. Nice. And Reagan, what about you? Yeah, I got my first Australian Shepherd, who was like my first personal dog when I was 12 years old. And he ended up being a really wild dog for a 12-year-old to own. (laughs) He was really dog and human reactive and just was a lot of work. So when we went to college, actually, I started working for a sport training facility. Hmm. And I would work in exchange for private lessons because he was too reactive to do group lessons. So he was like eight years old when we started. And it was just so good for him, his confidence building and our relationship that I was like obsessed and couldn't wait to like get more serious with my next dog. 
that seems to be a common thread about agility is that people become very obsessed with it. It seems like it's got some kind of positive feedback loop that makes people very addicting. Nice. And okay, so you two, you work together, your friends, your neighbors, do you practice and compete together? Like, do you find that it helps to have that kind of support of a friend who's also doing agility? Is it a very social kind of event for you? Yes, we actually carpool to agility every week. Nice. We have done trials together. And now that both of our puppies, who are actually Valley and Ochre, are both siblings. Oh. Once they're old enough to trial, we'll be doing it more and more. I think it's super helpful to have a friend that's involved. It's great to have that support, super enjoyable. And it's also fun because we can video each other and help each other out when we're training, which is super helpful. Great. Reagan, anything to add? Yeah. Aside from the carpooling, we also do like ring rentals on weekends. And it's just like so nice having someone who can sit there for hours at trials with you. And it's been really great having a friend who's also involved. I feel like it keeps us motivated. Are you competitive as dog parents? Are you kind of like trying to see whose dog is going to do best? I don't think so. We just have fun (laughs) together. Okay. We support each other. We laugh when our dogs do silly things, when we do silly things as handlers, because ultimately, you know, a lot of it is on us as the handlers. And no, we just have a really good time. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Just had to ask. So Reagan, what would you recommend to any of our listeners who are thinking about trying agility with their dogs? Oh, I say absolutely go for it. It's so fun. Even if you aren't looking to compete or trial ever, it's just such a fun way to like build your relationship with your dog and they have a great time learning. So I say just find some foundation classes nearby and get involved. Okay. And Rachel, what advice would you have for someone setting up a homemade agility course in their backyard since you did so as a child? There are some great videos on YouTube. There are some great websites online that teach you how to make it. There are even affordable homemade kits that you can buy that just have all the pieces and, you know, just have fun building it. You can add some tape, make it look nice and pretty. Just, yeah, have fun. Okay. And do you both recommend working with a trainer or like, was that kind of a necessary component of succeeding? Would you say? I think I speak for both of us when I say that our trainer is like a godsend. She does so much for us and just really teaches us how to handle more so than teaching the dogs, Mm. which is such a big part of it that you don't think of. So yeah, if possible, and if you're interested in trialing, I would definitely try and find a nice trainer. Awesome. Okay, well, it was really nice chatting with both of you about agility. I hope some of our listeners get the agility bug and want to start trying it out with their own dogs. So thank you both for your time. And thanks for tuning in to the Good Dog Pod. We'll be back next week with Dr. Karen DeMatteo to talk about the use of detection dogs in conservation work. Join us.